Will you pray with me? Father, we have sung our petition. May your kingdom come. May your will be done in us, in me, as it is in heaven. In the renovating name of Jesus we pray. Amen. In our first Monday speaker series this year, coming up in April, we have one of my favorite authors in all of the world. Uh, Mark Sayers, a pastor from Australia who I regard as one of the most important voices today in articulating what will happen and what we need to be doing as a church to prepare for a witness in a post-Christian West. I've been rereading this book, Reappearing Church, and it's been... um, Really, really good to delve into sort of these thoughts of where does renewal actually come from? Sayers is a historian, and he's kind of gone back and looked at all the great movements of God in history, both in the West and in all other parts of the globe, and try to tie the threads together of what are the points of commonality between every time in history when God has gone and done something remarkable. When renewal in one person's life or a few people's life together goes viral and actually becomes revival. Sayers has actually been so obsessed with this process. Um, I'm so inspired by this. He has organized his family vacations over the years to take his kids to all the places of the greatest revivals in history and made that their family vacations as they study together where it is that God has done the biggest moves of history and how was it that people made space for them? What is the role of the church in opening itself up to experience a possibility like that? Coming um, on the first Monday in April, you'll be able to hear um, Mark Sayers, and then I'm going to have an additional video on top of that, an interview with him, just sort of asking in particulars about how it is that we as this generation should prepare ourselves for such a move. He says this, much of the Western church is operating on the kinetic forward motion of previous moves of God. Lounging on a platform built by the service and ministry of past and passing generations. If you've ever sensed an angst within those who've gone before us in the greatest generation and within the boomers and even Gen X wondering what's going to happen to our children and to the future of the church, you can hear within this text that longing. However... The fuel tank is approaching empty. So here's the call to arms for you. But this is the question. What if this secular moment in our culture is only a crisis if we ignore God's call for renewal? What if we reframe this as brilliantly good news? One of my favorite things about Sayers and the way that he writes is everything is an opportunity. In fact, he says, if you look at all of these movements in history, what happens, and they often come, these periods of great growth come after periods of decline. And so if we're experiencing some sort of sense of loss, lostness, 
If we're experiencing a sense of loss, if we're not the predominant voice in culture anymore, if it's true that all churches in America are estimating that during a global pandemic in the past year, attendance either online or in person has decreased between 10 and 50% in America alone, and they're not sure if they're even going to come back on the backside of it. If all of that is true, then there is a moment for lament in that. But there is also the possibility of great anticipation. Because all of the great movements of God have come after moments of decline and crisis. Some cataclysmic event that sort of did a purifying process within God's people and out of the remnant comes revival. I found it fascinating in chapter 2, and he wrote this book in 2019, and the beginning of chapter 2, on page 1 of chapter 2, all about where does renewal come from, he wrote this. If we were to endure a global flu pandemic like the one in the early part of the 20th century that killed millions of people across the world, how we view and process our personal potentials and possibilities would be deeply shaken. He wrote that in 2019, in a book published just months before a global pandemic hit, and this actually happened. So now let's test his theory. How we view and process our personal potentials and possibilities, he suggested, would be deeply shaken. If it were as it is today that 2.75 million people the world over have died from this pandemic, 543,000 deaths in the U.S. alone, nearly double the amount of loss that we experienced in World War II as a country, over 5,600 deaths in the state of Iowa alone due to this pandemic, is it possible that when big moments happen in history, the opportunity arises the greatest for the church to till the fertile soil of desperation, of crisis and persecution. You see, this is supposed to be embedded in our DNA as followers of Jesus. We're going into Holy Week and celebrating the fact that the best thing in all of history came out of the worst thing that ever happened. The process of resurrection on the backside of crucifixion is the center of our story. It defines who we are. And so I'm entering into Mark Sayers' prayer now too, that this would be a moment where the next generation would be, this is our moment, this is our time. This is a chance as we look out of the world around us and see crisis as opportunity for the gospel. When people's confidence in their own plans and their illusions of control have been shaken, an opportunity exists to proclaim the unmoving, unshakable name of Jesus to be receptive in a world like it hasn't been in a long time. What are we doing with the moment that we've been given? All semester long, we've been sort of walking through this wheel of discipleship, looking at these different components of of who we are. If we're to engage in all of life's surrender, then let's stop and pause and do a deep dive into each of these aspects of who we are. And we've paused last week, um, this week, next week, and the following. We're going to stop right on this part of the wheel, the spiritual aspect of who we are. We wanted to center this around the crucifixion and resurrection moments. 
to pause and reflect on this process. And at the center of it, Sam opened us up last week and led us into Mark chapter 8, leading to that point at the center of that gospel where Jesus finally defines for us the simple three-step process of being a Christian. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Did you ever know that, that Christianity is actually a simple three-step process? God wrote a book about it. It sold really well. We started off in this series talking about this mission statement of Jesus. I have come that they would have life and have it to the full. Every one of us is pursuing the things that we're pursuing in athletics and in friendships and relationships and in romance and in personal self-care and in the things that you study all believe because we believe that if we put the right pieces in place, we will arrive at a place of fullness. Isn't that what we're all after? A life of completeness? Happiness, a life lived incredibly well where every day we got everything out of it, the, the carpe diem of humanity? Jesus said, your longing with that resonates with mine for you. I want that for you too. But the difference is who gets to define what it means to experience fullness. See, Sarah suggests that renewal in our lives never comes until we hit this first stage of self-denial. When we realize that self-worship and putting our own needs and our own desires as the thing that drives us forward in life, that causes ambitions in our lives to put one foot in front of the other and create opportunities for ourselves until we realize that we have come to the end of ourselves. And then we need to deny those impulses. We will never move toward fullness. We will bump into an end of our own existence. But when Jesus invites us into fullness, this isn't some form of prosperity gospel defined by our own wishes and greatest desires and fleshly wants. It's when we deny our definition of fullness and finally embrace his that we can enter into something we've never experienced before. In the middle of that chapter, Mark chapter 8, says this, then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life, whoever wants to define their own fullness, they'll lose it. They won't find it. But whoever loses their life, for me and for the gospel, We'll save it. Anybody here want a full life? Anybody want to take every breath from now until the day you die with purpose and fullness and beauty and intentionality? Until we realize that this simple process of discipleship doesn't even start until we deny ourselves, until we come to the end of ourselves. We can't enter into what God has for us. There was echoes in this book, Reappearing Church, from other ones that sat on my shelf. I have a whole shelf in my office on um, spiritual formation. 
having taught that class before, and I went back through so many of these books, and I was like, this is really odd. They actually all say the exact same thing. When Dallas Willard writes Renovation of the Heart, he talks about us all moving away into a process of, of self-denial and cruciform living and following Jesus. And then when John Lynch wrote The Cure, it was basically when you, you won't find Jesus until you reach the end of yourself. And then when Mother Teresa wrote No Greater Love and talked about serving others, it was really simply the same thing, this process of self-denial and moving forward. And when Eugene Peterson told us that we needed to practice resurrection, he told us you can't practice resurrection until you practice cruciform living. And if you want to move into the fullness of God, you're going to have to embrace this process because there is no other name by which we can be saved. There's no other path that leads to life. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And there's no other way to get pull it off. When John Ortberg wrote, the me I want to be, to resonate with all the parts inside of us that realize that we're not done yet, the thesis of the book is, there is a God, it is not you. This is the beginning of wisdom. Same thing. Mike Iaconelli, messy spirituality. It's not as clean as you think it is. Richard Foster wrote, celebration of discipline years ago, helping us understand that disciple and discipline actually come from the same word. You have to enter into the processes and the practices, the liturgical movements of discipleship if you want to experience everything that Jesus has for you. And if Tim Keller writes the freedom of self-forgetfulness, he's reminding us that you can't get anywhere until you get to the end of yourself. And Shane Claiborne, when he says, follow me to freedom, says freedom only comes when we realize the only freedom that we can have is the one that comes in Jesus. When Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes the cost of discipleship, what he's articulating is this process that comes in Mark chapter 8. Or when Craig Groeschel writes soul detox and tries to resonate in the part with us that says, my life isn't working for me. I don't like who I am. I want something more. He's like, I got an answer for you. It's the same one that's been being preached for a long time in the church. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Whoever wants to be my disciple, this isn't an optional path. This is the heart of Christianity. It's the way of Jesus. And it's the only way to fullness. And so as we close this Lenten season and move into Holy Week, I want one last challenge to put before you to ask you, are the liturgical practices of your life reflective of this call to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Jesus? How many of our Christian practices that we associate with Christianity actually don't begin with self-denial? That aren't a recognition of coming forward and just saying, God, this isn't working for me. I'm not working for me. All these things that I'm putting in place, I haven't become what I feel inside of me I was created to be. I'm reaching the end of myself. If you've ever felt like that, friends, that is the beginning of renewal. And when enough people experience renewal together, we call it revival. It starts with deny ourselves. Dallas Willard says that the greatest obstacle to Christian growth is self-worship. Where the king of all sins basically is pride. Until we actually want to die to our pride, we can never fully experience a process of denying ourselves. Because we're still the final arbiter of what we believe to be good and full and life-giving. So I don't want you to miss this. When Jesus summarizes everything about what it means to be a Christian, he starts with step one, self-denial. 
If the practices of your prayers and your Christian habits and the things that you're reading and the devotional practices that you are employing aren't employing self-denial, you will find yourself going in circles again and again and again and not experiencing the growth that you long for. And this is so hard. But there is no other way. Not only that, it isn't just a renewal process that happens inside. This is actually part of our greatest witness. When we live before the world an acknowledgement that our ways aren't working, we begin to enter into a process that highlights a faith in a God that's bigger than us. So do we truly grasp how actually countercultural this really is? Because our culture is not about self-denial, is it? Self-indulgence, get what you want, and if you want it bad enough, then it must be right. Truth is defined today by our greatest desires, not by some objective truth given to us by the God of the universe. In one of his chapters, Sayers says it like this, big business, big data, and big porn's ability to reshape our inner worlds is unparalleled in human history. And the next great awakening, the next renewal, the coming revival must center on our hearts being changed by God. It must begin by replacing, I love this line, it must begin by replacing the pseudo-Christianity of lifestyle enhancement with the spirit-filled faith of biblical Christianity. It must offer the renewal of Christ-likeness to those being deformed by our culture in the deepest parts of our hearts. That, my friends, is a countercultural call. And can we just be honest for a minute with one another and admit, and admit that our culture is telling us this? We are feeling the experience, right? You know this intuitively. That so many of the temptations in our own lives and the voices of the culture around us are telling us to build a life around ourselves. Somehow in the American process, we move from the recognition of the dignity of all humanity in the Imago Dei to highlighting that above all else. And we took something that was so good and beautiful and made it idolatrous. Consider this for a moment. The unholy trinity of the American dream. The idea that our whole life's purpose would be to live as long as we can, as easy as we can, making as much money as we can. Is that not the cry of the culture around us? Is that not what every advertisement is telling you? That that's what your life is supposed to be about? That will give you fulfillment. That will define your identity. Now juxtapose those elements of self-indulgence and self-idolatry with deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. We've been trying so hard to make those two things fit together, to create our own syncretism, and it's not working. Sayer's friend Joshua Ryan Butler says it like this, the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. The things that we want, that we're chasing after. So can we just be honest that we all like our ideas the best? And if this global pandemic 
And this season of high collective anxiety has taught the church one thing. It's that we were caught completely out of shape and not ready for this. We haven't been practicing self-denial. We haven't been looking different enough from culture. We've been trying to marry these two things together so bad that we were spiritually out of shape when we got called to get up off the couch and run a hard journey. We realized that our spiritual apathy had led to a place of heart disease. And we're not prepared for this. The historic Christian practices of fasting and contending in prayer, these are the things that we've been called to for generations from those who've gone before us, of time spent deep in God's word so we would enter into processes of denying ourselves and living for something so much more. And because we haven't, and because we haven't enough, the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. Step two in discipleship, deny yourself and take up your cross. My friends, this is Lent. This is cruciform living. This is the way of Jesus. Sometimes we'll talk about a little thing that we're going through in life that's a little bit hard. And we use this terrible Christian line, I guess it's just my cross to bear. I think what Jesus had in mind goes a little deeper than that. You see, if there's anything that you want Jesus to redeem and change, if there's any part of you that hasn't yet experienced the fullness of the resurrection that is offered to us in Jesus, it's probably because we haven't let it die first. Here is one simple truth that every follower of Jesus must know. You cannot take out of a grave on Sunday what is not crucified on a cross on Friday. And the invitation is to enter into his death and share in his suffering that we would also share in his resurrection. And so I want to challenge you this morning and ask you the question, what parts inside of you have yet to experience the fullness of resurrection simply because they have not yet experienced the crucifixion? What has to die in you? What have you been trying so hard to prop up that just has to go? Have you ever practiced those spiritual muscles before and fasted? Maybe Holy Week would be the first time for you to do that. Have you ever sat down and really contended for things in prayer, like petitioned God to the point of tears for things that you long for so bad, either in your own life or in the lives of somebody else around you? If you haven't, sign up for a 24-7 prayer slot next week and join with all brothers and sisters across campus as we round the clock petition God in prayer to create a renewal that becomes a revival in this place and in us. I'm going to ask the band to come on back up. I'm going to lead us in a couple closing songs. And as they do, I want to invite you into this Lenten week, Holy Week, the close of this 40-day process. 40 days was the season that God took his people into the wilderness in order to bring about change. So that a generation that had only known slavery would die off so a new generation would come about. 
that would know how to live in his freedom. We try to replicate that in the season of Lent each year as God's people. Asking ourselves again, what needs to die in me? And so if you want to get ready to tap into the fullness of the power of the resurrection of Jesus, the best way to celebrate Easter is not a new dress, it's not an Easter egg hunt or a well-baked ham next Sunday. It's sharing in his suffering that you might also share in his resurrection. And as he walks out of the grave on Sunday morning, taking all that has died in you with him to the fullness of new life, empowered by a resurrected Jesus. May you experience the fullness of the resurrection because you acknowledge that something first has to die within us. Will you stand and join us in song? Thank you.